You know, if God is a loving God, and he is, then why do bad things happen to good people? And they do. In the last couple of years, not not referring to the pandemic, but like in our church family, some of the finest members of our church have gone through what you and I would just call terrible things. And you can't help but wonder, you can't help but ask, and we do, (laughs) why would a loving God allow things like this to happen? And when you ask that question, and it's an age-old question, really it is, it's as old as the book of Job, and we'll look at that in a moment. But as we ask the question, whether we verbalize it or not, most of us have, have thought that question. We see terrible things happen to good people. We see really hard and bad things people are even going through now. And we ask, you know, why would God let something like this happen? Well, you, you can go with trying to figure that deal out one of two ways. You can just stand back and say, you know, as I look at that, I see no rational explanation for that. So what people do when they do that, <laughs> they try to explain it with human ignorance. That's kind of our perspective. And when it happens to you and you try to explain it, no matter how smart you are, it, it, it leaves you out in, in limbo land. Now, there's a better way to deal with that than to try to do it from the perspective of human ignorance. And what it is, is to ask this question, does the Bible tell us anything about why bad things happen to good people. And this morning, that's what we're going to deal with. And I want us to begin, maybe a good beginning point would be to open your Bible to the book of Job. I want to show you a verse. Job is right before the book of Psalms. It's kind of, you know, for me, I always want to say, Job, I go to Psalms and back up. That's where it is. But I want you to look with me in the book of Job. In chapter number five, there's a verse. And I have it highlighted in yellow. (laughs) I have it underlined. And I have other scriptures marked that kind of parallel it. But let's just look at Job chapter five, verse number seven. And here's what the Bible says. Yet man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. Now, this is how it is. In a moment, I'm going to show you why this is how it is. Uh, You know, I love the way the New Living Translation translates that verse. Let me read it to you. It says, people are born for trouble as readily as sparks fly upward from the fire. So, If you have your bulletin this morning, I wish you'd start with me and stay with me. And we're going to be blessed as we look at what God says about this whole matter. Here is the beginning place for you to grab hold when something bad happens to a good person, whether it be someone else or whether it be you. Understand this, that in this life, now this is where you and I live right now, in this life, We need to understand there is universal suffering. And I wish you'd write that little word in your bulletin, universal. 
And the Bible teaches us that. Now, you may want to make this little note. Go back in your mind. We'll not turn. You say, well, why is that true? All the way back to Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, what happened? Well, (laughs) what happened is... (laughs) From that point on, sickness, pain, suffering, evil things, even death entered this world. Now, I've often thought of this. Maybe maybe you've not thought of it this way. Had Adam not sinned, one of us would. You know, when God made man, God made man, gave him a free will. Well, Let's say Adam never did sin. Well, Cain would have probably perhaps still killed Abel. And I would dare say that if Adam never had sinned, somewhere along the way I would have, somewhere along the way you would have. But here's what happened. When that happened, sin entered the world and no one is exempt. In other words, Christians are going to experience suffering just like non-Christians are going to experience suffering. Like Christians get cancer just like non-Christians get cancer. Christians have heart attacks. Christians have strokes. All these things we deal with, no one is exempt from this whole matter of suffering. It is part of our inheritance in this life because when Adam sinned, what happened, universal suffering was just passed right on to us. We don't sometimes think about it that way. And, and, and it's, just, it's just a sad, sad thing, sin into the world. We live in a fallen world. We need to understand that. And in a fallen world, everything is not going to be perfect. In fact, the Bible tells us that Christians are freed from the judgment of sin. You might want to write the little verse down. John chapter 3, verse 18, it says, There is no judgment against anyone who believes in Jesus. So if we're Christians, we're freed from the judgment of sin, but listen carefully, we're not freed from the consequences of sin. That is the difference. I bless God today that I'm freed from the judgment of sin, aren't you? But understand, None of us are freed from the consequences of sin. And turn with me to the book of Romans. I want to show you. Paul deals with this, and we'll just be able to uh, just touch on it. But turn over in Romans chapter 8. We need to understand that, uh, you know, Paul tells us that because of sin, for example, creation itself groans. Look with me, if you will, in Romans chapter 8 in verse number 22. It says, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Creation groans and suffers pain just like that of childbirth. And all we have to do is turn TV on. We see it. Just look at what is going on today with creation itself. I mean, you know, we won't get on the debate of what's causing this and what's causing that, but a person would have to be blind, and it's not just in in the United States, it's all over the world. I mean, we're, we're seeing all kind of things happen to creation as creation groans, and all of this, see, back in the Garden of Eden, creation was perfect, but after that sin, 
creation would never be perfect again. And as we see creation continue to just grown greater and greater, it just reminds us that we are just getting nearer and nearer to the coming of the Lord. But not only does creation grow, Paul deals with it. Christians groan. Look in verse number 23. It says, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. You see, our, so how do we groan? Well, aches, pains. Any of you have any aches? Any of you have any pains? You're looking at me like, no. Next Sunday, you need to preach online. What you need to do uh, uh, this morning, I, well, I won't go into that. Uh, I'll just say this. I put me a little title all in a little bag this morning and said, I'm going to take it in case I need it between services. Well, we all have aches. Bobby called me yesterday to tell me about, you know, he's, poor Bobby is like the rest of us that are men. We, we forget we are not 21 anymore. And he decided he'd be, Superman in the gym, and and um, if you guys would help him out when the service is over, all right. You couldn't even baptize this morning, could you? you no, I, 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 I'm glad you didn't. I encourage you to do nothing until you get that matter resolved. But look, in the room, there are all kinds of aches and pains. Uh, Christians groan, and th- this is part of our inheritance. And not only that, here's something you may never thought about, and Paul deals with it in verse 26. The Holy Spirit groans. Look at verse 26. It says, likewise, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Look carefully. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us, watch this, with groanings, underline it, with groanings which cannot be uttered. You see, our prayers are so broken, the Holy Spirit uses groans rather than words. Don't sometimes you groan, you know. Sometimes I don't say anything, but I'll just, oh, oh, oh. I notice the older I get, the more I'm on. Have you noticed any of that? Well, we're groaning. We need to understand we live in a fallen world and our inheritance in this life is this very whole matter of universal suffering. And it's, it's, a, it's a true thing. And if this is the only part of the sermon you remember, it will help you when you look or when you experience bad, terrible things happening in your life. Just remember, suffering is a universal thing. But not only in this life, uh, uh, there is universal suffering. In this life, there is unique suffering. Now, Turn with me in the book of 1 Peter, if you will. It's over near the end of the Bible, right to the book of James, right after the book of James, Hebrews, James, and 1 Peter. I want to show you a verse that's worth marking in your Bible. It's in 1 Peter. It's in chapter number 5, and it deals with this whole matter of unique suffering. Now, uh, in a nutshell, this book of 1 Peter, the Holy Spirit inspired Peter to write, Jewish believers who were scattered all over the then known Roman world, and they were going through tremendous persecution, bad things, terrible things. And he wrote this letter to encourage them. And because their suffering was a unique suffering. And in verse nine, look very carefully. He says in verse nine, resist him, talking about the devil. He's telling these believers, resist the devil. 
be steadfast in the faith. Now look carefully. Knowing that the same suffering you experienced, also your brotherhood in the world doing it likewise. So he's saying, look, you're going through these sufferings. It's a unique suffering. You're suffering because of your faith in God. You're suffering because of your faith in Jesus Christ. And it's a unique suffering. Non-believers don't have this suffering. This is only a suffering of believers. Now, as you think about that, and I think about that, you know, I think about how practical that is in the life that we live. For example, there are, there are a good number and I've watched it through the years of what I would call godly wives who love the Lord, who are faithful in the church, who want to obey what God says, but yet uh, their husband resents their obedience and their love to God. That is unique suffering. Every, every wife doesn't have that kind of suffering. But there are many that do. There are many godly wives who really, with all their heart, want their family to be a tithing family, but their husband says no. That's unique suffering. You know, (laughs) there, there are many godly wives that want their children to be in church, listen carefully, on Sunday, to learn about God and to worship God and to do what God teaches about worship. But their husbands, they prefer their children to be on the ball field or to be in this or be in that and be a yonder. And when I use that little illustration, some of you won't like it and you'll be mad with me almost about it. Listen, (laughs) that's not your problem. Try to explain that to God. There are many, there are many parents that are going to have a hard time because it's going to be impossible. Explaining to God how they raised their children and Sunday was whatever it was and if there was nothing, then you go to church. And those kids grow up like that. Then they get married and they have kids and it just, it just perpetuates. I'm just saying there, there are many good godly wives that really want those kids in church. And one day God's going to reward them from that. And one day some husband's going to give account for that. And I just leave it there and let the Holy Spirit deal with you. But I'll tell you, it's not just godly wives. There are many people in the business world that feel a unique pressure to conform to what everybody else in the business world is doing. I mean, if you're serious about God, you're serious about your faith, and you're out here in the secular world, a great deal of the secular world is not very serious about God, not very serious about faith. And their lifestyle and the lifestyle the Bible teaches are just at different poles so many times. That is unique suffering. And, uh, oh, I tell you, it, there, are many, there are many godly parents husband and wife, they, they have a unique pressure. Now listen to this one from their children. You know, my take in too many cases today, the children are running the home. You know, God gave parents the children. The children are not in charge. 
Thank you. At least one person agrees with me. But they're not. But I'll tell you how it's working. I mean, parents, it's, it's a tough deal. One of the children comes in and says, look, Bobby's parents let him watch this on TV. And they let, they let, they let them go do this and that and yonder. And you won't let us do that. And that pressure those parents feel, they get, they get to feel like, well, look, you know, if all the other parents are letting their kids watch this and do this and go there and whatever, and here, here my child is telling me, look, look at their parents. What about why are you like you are? There is a unique pressure to that, and it's far more than we sometimes understand. We need to understand this, that in this life, unique suffering is part of it, just like universal suffering is. Well, let's move on with that. Here's something else the Bible teaches I think helps us in a great way. God uses suffering to keep us from sin. Many times, God uses suffering to keep us from sin. Now, turn back with me in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you're, if you're kind of thinking, you say, oh, you're going to be in that chapter about the thorn in the flesh. And that's exactly where I'm going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want you to look with me very quickly and think about this. Sometimes the bad things, the terrible things that come into our life, God doesn't necessarily, he, he certainly allows them, but he doesn't bring all that, but he uses it many times to keep us from sin. The apostle Paul is a, is a great example. Let's look in First uh, 2 Corinthians Chapter 12, we'll just look in verse 1, work our way to verse 7. It says, it is doubtless, now Paul's writing, not profitable for me to boast. For I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Paul said, I know a man in Christ. I think he's referring to himself. He doesn't, he doesn't say himself at this moment. He says, but I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a one was caught up in the, or to the third heaven. You know, there are three heavens, and here we're reading about the third heaven. You know, the first heaven is where the birds fly. The second heaven is where the stars are. And the third heaven is where God abides. And that's what he's talking about. You see, the first heaven we see by day, the second heaven we see by night, and the third heaven we see by faith. Well, he's talking about the heaven where God abides. He says, I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. How he was caught up into paradise. Now, in your Bible, when you read the word paradise, it's talking about the third heaven. It's talking about heaven. It's talking about where God abides. He says he was caught up into paradise. And he heard inexpressible words. You see, he heard words you, that you couldn't express them, you couldn't say them, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Why? They were so sacred. He said, the words that I heard were so sacred, they could not even be uttered. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast except of my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. Now look in verse 7. And lest, Paul says, I should be exalted above measure. I mean, he had, can you imagine going to heaven, having all these visions and not want to go tell about it? He said, to keep me from 
you know, ranting and raving about all these revelations I've had and how, how spiritual that would imply that I am. He says, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. You see, here's the interesting. Satan's effort to hinder Paul's work was this thorn in the flesh. He gave it to him. What did God do? God just flipped that thing around in a very special way and he used it to further Paul's work in kingdom things. It's just an amazing thing. Now, uh, you know, God uses the thorn uh, to, to make Paul's work even greater. There, there, there are a couple of verses. You may want to jot them down. They're going to put them on the screen behind me. In Psalm 119, verse number 64, the psalmist says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. Now look at this. But now I keep your word. You know, many times when, when things are just all going great guns our way, we just tend to kind of go our own way. But then let some affliction come, and it's an amazing thing. He says, but now I keep your word. You know, sometimes the affliction seems to draw us back to God. The psalmist went on to say in another verse in the very same chapter in Psalm 119, verse 71, he said, it's good for me that I've been afflicted. How many of us would ever say that? How's it good he's been afflicted? That I may learn your statutes. Sometimes affliction brings us to our knees. Sometimes affliction brings us to God's word. Sometimes affliction just draws us closer to God than we would otherwise be if that did not come our way. And that's exactly what he is talking about. Now, when we have no afflictions in life, we have no problems in life, we have no pain in life, we have no difficulties in life, we tend to just kind of we don't mean to, but it's easy at least to say it this way. We kind of forget God. Now, we don't really forget there's a God, but I mean, we're busy. Everything's going our way. But folks, that's not real life. <laughs> Everything's not going to go our way. Sparks fly upward. You can count on it, and so does trouble come. You can count on it. But let me tell you one other thing that I think will help. Oftentimes, God uses suffering to strengthen us. God uses suffering to strengthen us. I want us to see another verse on the wall. In 1 Peter, and we won't turn back to it, if he'll put the verse up, and there it is from the New Living Translation, 1 Peter Chapter 5, verse 10 says, In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. See, God often uses suffering to strengthen us. You know... And I'm sharing what I share with permission, as you'll well see in a moment. But on December 26 in 2020, day after Christmas, the Charles Cowles family, one of the very faithful families in our church, Charles and his wife, Jennifer, their sons, Christopher and Caleb and Jacob, they were driving to Branson, Missouri for a vacation with their family to be together. And driving to Branson, something happened. 
And their, their vehicle swerved off the highway and went over a kind of deep cliff like and at the very bottom was a huge boulder of some kind and it just crashed into it. And the result of that was uh, Dr. Cowles died and Jennifer is very much still going through a lot and she's been through a lot and and the children, two of them were injured and one less so. But it's just almost unexplained. You know, I don't know if you knew Dr. Cowles or not, but Dr. Cowles is deacon in our church. He served on personnel committee of our church. He was on the medical team of our church. He was on the board of our school. And he was a friend of many of you. He was certainly a friend of me and my family. He was an anesthesiologist, M.D. Anderson, but not only was he an anesthesiologist, M.D. Anderson, he really didn't, he was an anesthesiologist, M.D. Anderson, but many, many weeks he would do that like maybe one or two days a week, but he was on the faculty of M.D. Anderson. So, you know, he was just respected by so many people and just such a, just an unbelievable person. And I learned about that between the two services. When I was back, getting ready to come to the second service, Tom Gamble came and John was preaching that morning. He said, I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to tell John until after the service because it will greatly disturb him and it would have. But I'm going to tell you because you're not preaching today. He told me about the accident and Dr. Cowles was dead. Well, now you talk about, now there's one. You talk about good people. Dr. Cowles, we could have people in MD Anderson. I didn't do this to everybody in MD Anderson, but if we had a member down there that was really fighting for their life in a real battle, I'd text Dr. Cowles and say, look, if you have time, drop by. I'd give him the room number and the name and just have a prayer. He was like, he was like having a chaplain for the church in the hospital. And I was careful not to abuse that. But he was just good. That was just who his heart was. It's just unbelievable. Now, how in the world do you explain a guy like that in a wreck like that? Well, that's two years ago. Well, a few weeks ago, their oldest son, Christopher, in the gym, doing something he was trained to do, but nonetheless, suffered a severe injury that could easily have left him paralyzed and still the jury's out on how this is all going to end. But he had a surgery toward the end of the week and then the following Monday he had a second surgery and it's just, it's just I mean, it's just one of the best kids in the church. We're talking about the same family two years ago. Dr. Cowles, the husband, the father, is killed in an automobile accident. And now here we are two years later, and, and here's Christopher in this kind of a shape. Well, he came home from the hospital, and I guess maybe two weeks ago, Dottie and I went to their home to visit, really, Christopher. To, I've been talking to him on the phone, praying with him, trying to encourage him in the hospital, but we wanted to go visit. And while we were there, I don't know, Dottie got kind of talking to the kids and we were all in this den kind of together. And I, I said to Jennifer, and Jennifer and I, we've had, we've had real constant communication 
uh, since the, the, all this started with Dr. Cal's death. But I made some little statement. I said, Jennifer, you know, I know it's been hard, but tell me like, you know, how, 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 uh, tell, I mean, I know you're still in pain and hurting, not only physically, but in your heart from what you've lost. And now here's Christopher, but like, how, how, how have you done as well as you've done with what happened to Charles? And she just kind of, just from her heart, it wasn't prepared. She just kind of answered my question. Well, a few days later, I thought, you know, I want my whole church to hear that. And so I built up courage <laughs> and I called Jennifer and I said, hey, I want you to think about something, pray about it. And I said, you know, we were in your home visit and I asked you a question about how you had handled this. And you, you just, I don't know if you remember what you said, but it was just phenomenal. I said, I really would like for you to tell that to the church. And before she could say no, because she's kind of shy. I said, but no, 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 no. It'd be a video. You won't have to stand before the people. Just, would you just pray about doing a video? And she agreed to do it. And I want you to watch the video. She's answering my question. Let's look at the video. After the accident and when Charles had died, there was a great loss in my life. I mean, I, I was heartbroken, you know, to the core. And I felt that I had lost, you know, my independence and I had lost my health and I'd also lost part of my identity. At that point, I asked God, okay, God, why has all this been taken from me? I feel like I've lost everything except for my children. And God very clearly spoke to me that you had to lose all these things so you could learn to turn to me and completely find your happiness in me because I feel like we're in a world where so many things are competing for our time, our space, our happiness. And if it's not fully found in God, then for me, I was gonna spend the rest of my life, you know, unhappy and miserable. Obviously, I used the Bible and God's Word, but for me, one of the most important things was not just reading God's Word, but really listening to God, listening to what He had to say to me. I had a lot of questions that I needed answered, and I felt that I could only accomplish that through just time with Him. I think it takes most of my morning just to get up to say, okay, God, I don't know what today holds, but I need to be in your word, read your word, and I also need to take the time after doing that to listen to what you have to tell me to where I'm not rushed, you know, going throughout my day. I need to stop and I need to listen. I want you to bow with me this morning. I hope you're not going through a bad thing in your life right now. Some of you are, some of you have a lot of different things going on in your life that they're not evil things, but they're hard things. They really are. And she hit it right on the head. It's not just enough to read devotional books and read the Bible. You have to take some time to listen to God. And Jennifer said, that's, that's what's gotten me through what I've been through and now what I'm in again. Well, this morning, I want to encourage you 
would you just, whatever you're going through in life, don't try to explain it from human ignorance. Let God's word explain it to you. And then your key is to listen. And she's so right. We are such a hurried people, all of us. We just go in 40 different directions. <laughs> we do well just to even read our Bible some every day. But boy, to think about just taking time to listen to what God is saying to us. Now, some this morning in this room, if you'd listen, God well may be saying to you, you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Make him your Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, in a moment, you're going to have an opportunity to do that. I'll help you. Others might say, you know, I'm just not sure. I think I'm a Christian, but I'm not certain. Oh, listen, don't leave this room this morning <laughs> like that. Because you can leave this room knowing. Old John wrote it well in his book. These things I write unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. I know that for myself. Now the question is, can you say, I know that? For those today that say, you know, I want to settle my salvation. Then you just pray this prayer. Just say, Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. God, I ask you to come into my life and make me a Christian. I trust you to save me. 